Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, a very early goodly morning to you. Early goodly morning to you, too. It How is, are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. It's er- it is early, though. It's like 8 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Very early. I'm not quite there yet in terms of my day, you know? Sure. But you've often written the blog by now. Oh, I, always, I, I get up early. That's not the issue uh, so much, because I, I get up every day around... Six, that's my usual wake-up time, write the blog and have breakfast and everything else. But eight still feels early to do this because normally our, our start time's about 10, 10.30. You can kind of ease into the day, bit of a dog walk, listen to a podcast, but straight into it this morning um, because of our, our... Yeah, it is. Also, I just remembered the reason we stopped recording at this time is because a man um seemingly flying a spaceship uh operates just outside my house at this time every day so i look forward to that kicking in yeah the gardening guy the The gardening gardening guy guy. yeah for the no garden exactly exactly well it's all there ahead of us how how are things with you how was your uh birthday celebration seemed like you had a good like uh, sort of a jubilee thing going on a few days (laughs) a concert for me actually it was incredible um harry styles performed (laughs) harry styles it was extraordinary. No, it was nice. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah, another year gone. Yep, that's what happens. They, they get quicker and quicker. <laughs> yeah. I always remember people saying that to me when I was younger, going, yeah, right. Years don't go quickly. It takes ages for Christmas. Every year, Christmas <laughs> comes, and I've got to wait fucking ages for another Christmas. And uh, they they weren't lying. It is true. Mm. It does the, happen like that. <laughs> the most terrifying thing is other people's children. I saw yeah. some friends yesterday, and their children are like people now. And it's, yeah, it's mm. extraordinary how that happens. My daughter will be 31 this summer. Wow. <laughs> if that doesn't 
uh, put you in your place, then I don't know what will, you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, where do we start today? It's been busy. There's been a lot of news, hasn't there? There's Different been bits of news. Stuff. I guess Eddie is the main story of the weekend before, you know, the thing that's actually happened. Um, mm. And that's Eddie and Keddie signing a new contract, which I have to say, you know, I'm not going to say I'm surprised because the last couple of weeks, obviously, it looked like it was going that way. But where we were six, eight weeks ago, after that podcast he did with the guys um, on The Beautiful Game, and he was talking about wanting to play more and, and the contract situation and everything else. Like, if you told me then that he was going to sign a new contract, I would have been surprised. I guess all the Arsenal players will be queuing up to go on the Beautiful Game podcast next season uh, to <laughs> provoke the turnaround in their fortunes and fat new contract. I would have been surprised too at that point in time. Um, but I guess that little run in the team, you know, it was enough to convince him and enough to convince the club. And I, I guess the interesting aspect of it is, you know, the amount of money they've agreed to pay him. They've had to match essentially what he would have been offered elsewhere, uh, which is a pretty chunky salary for anyone mm. um you know we've seen reports in the region of a hundred thousand pound a week I, I think that would probably be about right um and that's a lot of money and and i guess that's the respect in which it's a departure for arsenal you know Mikel arteta was always very insistent he wanted to keep the player whether he envisioned keeping him on that kind of wage uh i don't know i'd be slightly surprised about that but eddie and his agent have played the situation to perfection mm. i guess uh, and that often seems to be the case. I mean, the agent in question is a very canny operator who is not afraid to wait until the very last moment before agreeing a contract. We've seen that in the past with, you know, following Balogun, who it looked like might be headed out the door, talking mm. of agreeing contract elsewhere, and then at the last moment, Arsenal up their offer and he signs on the dotted line. That uh, has some interesting implications potentially for the negotiations over Bukayo Saka's uh, new contract, which are hmm. ongoing. Are they ongoing? Because that you know, just you know, people may be aware, but but it is the same agent, um, Eddie Nketiah, Bukayo Saka. You know, on the one hand, you would say, look, he has played it very well. He's got a good deal for his client. That's his job, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but do you think perhaps? ongoing slash successful negotiations with that agent might lay the groundwork for a less complicated outcome when it comes to Bakayo Saka? <laughs> I'd like to think so, but I'm not sure I necessarily do think so. I mean, it's, you know, all agents behave differently, but I do think one thing that you can observe as a pattern in this particular case, is a willingness to kind of take things to the wire to get the best deal. It's not always as relaxed a scenario as the club or we as fans might like. Um, so I wouldn't be counting any chickens on that, um, mm. unfortunately. But, you know, I, I might be wrong. I, I, hopefully this means that everybody's friends and everything's agreed very quickly. I mean, the club should be looking to kind of push the boat out, really, on this Saka contract and you know, make it clear how important he is to the team and, and pay him what he deserves. So as a starting position, you know, ultimately they both want the same thing, right? Which is yeah. a big new contract for one of our best players. So hopefully it can get done sooner rather than later. Um, I say ongoing. I mean, I, I simply mean in terms of Arsenal have 
you know, they've begun that process and it hasn't concluded. Right. Um, how long it will run, uh, we don't know. It is It is an interesting one because, look, Eddie's situation was quite different to Bakayo Saka's situation where he's been playing basically second or third or sometimes even fourth fiddle mm. um, behind very senior players like Aubameyang, like Lacazette, et cetera, et cetera. And his contract situation was... Um, you know, it was coming to an end. He could have left on a Bosman in June. Um, I think Sackers is different in that he is a first-team regular. He is counted on. He has responsibility. And it's clear, obviously, that Arsenal want him to be part of the plans for years to come. He's got the trust of the manager. I mean, as much as the agent plays a part in things like this, the will of the player, too, must be... Um, taken into account, right? So if Arsenal present a contract to Bakayo Saka, which, you know, based on the the wage that Eddie is getting, Bakayo Saka ought to be getting much more than that, right? Based on what he's produced and based on the potential that he has. I mean, I don't think he's going to make his decision primarily based on what's on offer, but I think he signed a new contract back in... Was it 2019 or 2020? Uh, I think it was um, 2020. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sure he got a nice bump in salary, but, like, here we are two years later and he's a key man for Arsenal, key man for England, and any new deal would reflect his importance, right? So you're looking at a fairly substantial increase in pay. That feels like a way of making this happen <sighs> I'm I'm going to say relatively easily and with fairly heavy emphasis on the word relatively there as much as these things can be uncomplicated. Like the ingredients are there for Arsenal to be able to get this done this summer. That's what I mean. Yeah, and I'm actually not particularly anxious about whether or not Bukayo Saka will eventually sign a new contract. I think he will. Uh, it's more just a question of how long it takes and the hoops that Arsenal need to jump through in order to get to that point. Like you, I hope they can shortcut mm. it. I mean, it's quite clear what everybody wants. It should be fairly clear what people expect. And I don't think, you know, unlike with Eddie, where there's this sort of question of value and, you know, is is it appropriate for him to be on that sort of salary? I don't think anyone would contest Bakayo Saka's value to Arsenal, you know, commercially, on the football pitch, as anything else. He really mm. is a symbol of this football club. Um, and so I think Arsenal will hopefully reflect that in what they propose and an agreement can be rich swiftly because that is you know one of the most important bits of business Arsenal can do this summer yeah that, that remains the case despite all the excitement about potential incoming transfers securing Saka is vital so you used a phrase there which I think is quite interesting um with regards to Eddie question of value which mm -hmm. I think is an interesting discussion because look on the one hand you could say the first real run that Eddie and Keddie got in the team, in the Arsenal team, uh, at Premier League level, what did he score? Five goals in seven games, something like that, which is a decent uh, return. Five goals in eight starts, something uh, along those lines anyway, which is a pretty decent return for your first real run of Premier League starts. And he's just gone 23, and there is room for improvement. The decision to give him a new contract is not based on what he did in those last few games of the season, right? Because Mikel Arteta has spoken consistently about wanting to keep him and what he thinks of the quality of Eddie and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there's your glass half full scenario. 
The other side of it is that, um, you know, and I accept fully that he's been behind, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, been behind more senior players during his time here. So it's been difficult for him to get those chances. However, you know, I, I, I think there is obviously still quite a lot for him to prove at Premier League level. Whether that contract is just a pure 100 grand a week or whether it's, you know, the signing on fee over the course of the contract and his basic wage is a bit lower or whatever it might be, it's still a fairly substantial investment in a player who still has plenty to prove. And maybe that's just what it takes these days. Maybe that's the going rate, et cetera, et cetera. But it is a relatively significant show of faith in the player himself from the club to give him that kind of a deal to keep him even I think we talked a couple of weeks ago didn't we about the um you know w- what it might cost to bring in a similar kind of striker because you're going to have to pay a transfer fee you're going to have to pay signing on fee you're going to have to pay wages commensurate with the transfer fee etc cetera, etc cetera. so as a sort of total package what you're investing in Eddie maybe isn't what you would invest in a similar uh, caliber or similar profile of striker if you go to the transfer market. Nevertheless, they wouldn't be giving him this kind of deal if they didn't think he wasn't capable of scoring goals at a regular-ish level for for Arsenal. But he, he has got some way to go, I think, to convince sections or or a a proportion of the fan base that he is going to be good value for that money yeah definitely i think uh he's still got a lot to prove when he has started games by and large he has scored goals i mean one of the things that's really intriguing about eddie is i think if you look at his underlying stats that they're really good in terms of his ability to get on the end of chances um you know he has that knack he has that ability Mm. to find the, the right spaces in the opponent's box um, that you would look for in a goal scorer. The, the problem is, at the very top level, meaning the Premier League, we're still looking at a really small sample. Mm. Um, and, and we don't know if he'll be able to reproduce that consistently against all kinds of different opponents across the course of a season. Those questions remain to be answered. And Arsenal, you know, they see him every day and they feel like he, he obviously can make that leap because... They've invested the money. I think where the money is interesting, yes, it's a good value deal in terms of you don't have to pay a transfer fee. You know, it's effectively half what you might spend to bring in someone from outside the club. But if you put a player on 100k a week, uh, you know, you're going to have other players and other agents knocking on your door if they're Mm. on less than that. And then, you know, maybe they've got more important roles in the team. They might think, Right. Well, if if that's the going rate, then we all want to be bumped up. So that that's the slight risk, you know, where you look at a unique contract situation and, and pay someone a lot of money. Um, other people are going to be looking at that and saying, "Why am I not on the same?" And that's where it may yeah. cost Arsenal ultimately. What, what, what do you think about the idea or, or the the argument that look, we had a player who was worth nothing in the transfer market if we decided to sell him, and now we've got a player you know, young English striker who, if we did decide to sell, will gain us some money in the in the transfer market somewhere down the yeah. line, if he does reasonably well or if he doesn't even do that well. But do, do you worry maybe that the wages or the package that he's on might preclude a 
decent transfer or make it difficult for other clubs to to sign him? That's a good question. I don't think so within the Premier League. I can you know, I think there are enough clubs that could meet that if he was going to be a big signing for them. I mean, I think you make a good point. If he has a decent year this year, but Arsenal decide it's not working out and they want to sell him, you know, what you get for Eddie will more than pay for what you've spent on a year's salary for him. Um, mm. And being a player who's come through the academy, it's effectively all profit at that point. Um, I think the, the case against Eddie is people who say, you know, if you want to be aggressive and you want to be ambitious... Arsenal had an opportunity to upgrade at this point in time mm. and ultimately they've not taken it. I guess that the decision for Arsenal has been one of, well, you know, we've got to prioritise different areas. Um, keeping Eddie might allow us to spend more on another player. We're going to talk about, you know, Vieira coming from Porto, which, mm. uh, you know, that sort of fee probably would have been allocated to a second centre forward. Um so they've and they've effectively gambled on you know Eddie being able to replicate what he's shown in that little run at towards the end of the season uh, in the longer term. But he, he is a player of pedigree. This isn't a guy who has come from nowhere and had five good games and now we've given him hundred grand a week. If you look at his mm. rise through the academy and the England international youth setup, this is someone who has always excelled in goal scoring through different age brackets and different teams. So it's not ludicrous to suggest that as he matures, he might be able to replicate some of that at senior level. Yeah. There is obviously talent there and there has been talent there. Um, and, I, and I think what's really interesting is to what extent the team might evolve to suit somebody like Eddie. I mean, I don't think anybody's envisaging him starting every game for Arsenal at centre-forward next season, but as we add more creative players into the team in other areas, having a guy who is that kind of quintessential fox in the box, who is a finisher, mm. there's a kind of dovetailing of the strategies there. You know, you, you add in that creative potential and then you put someone in that mix who's very good at getting on the end of things. And that's, that's where Eddie excels. Yeah. Yeah, I mean people might worry a little bit about the variety or lack of variety in our centre forward options if and when mm -hmm. we bring in Gabriel Jesus. Um, but look, we have to hope it it, it works out well for Eddie. Uh, the club, I wonder, is this like a, a consequence maybe is the wrong word to use, but maybe a different decision would have been made if Arsenal had been in the Champions League next season and there was more money and maybe you could go for that other upgrade and... Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But look, yeah. I, I hope he does well. I really hope he does well. Um, yeah, me I, too. I, I mean, I, he, ultimately, he's an academy player, you yeah. know, and um, he loves it at Arsenal. And yeah, yeah. I, I can't help but want to see those guys. Exactly. He's he's an well. Arsenal fan. I mean, I think you can you can hope and want for him to do well, but still have the conversation about the fact that there is something for him to prove. And, I, you know, I think if you were to say to Eddie and Kedia, um to put that to him in a way, like, do you feel like you've got something to prove at 23 years of age? Of course he does. Yeah. You know, he knows it's a challenge. He knows it's going to be uh, tough going. He knows there's a weight of responsibility on him now because he's got a, a bigger position in the squad. And of course, you know, a, a shiny new number as well, which, <laughs> you know, fair play. Uh, why wouldn't you as a young Arsenal uh, player, an academy player, someone who's come through the ranks, 
want the number 14 if it were offered to you? I thought some of the reaction to that number being allocated to him this weekend was was ludicrous, you know? It really was. Um, yeah. it, it's not disrespectful to Thierry Henry that Eddie Nketiah is wearing number 14 uh, at all. It changes nothing about what Thierry Henry did for Arsenal while wearing that shirt. And you remember last summer that Emile Smith-Rowe took the number 10 and there was nowhere near the same amount of outcry or uh, conversation about that, despite the fact that some of the best players in our history have worn number 10. Like, was it doing Dennis Bergkamp dirty that Emile Smith-Rowe took number 10? People didn't have very much to say about it there. So um, the thing that Arteta said about Smith-Rowe taking that number last season was like, he knows there's a, a, a weight to that number at Arsenal. And he used that, I think. We saw that there was a response from him. We saw that there was an increased output from Emile Smith-Rowe. So why couldn't Eddie Nketiah, you know, take on that weight uh, with the number 14 number? You know, good luck to yeah. him, I say. And also, I made this point to you offline, but I'm sure Eddie would have quite liked number nine being a centre-forward. <laughs> uh, and they've not kept, they've not given it to him. You know, they've probably got that earmarked for somebody who? else. Uh, wonder who, wonder who. Yeah, wonder who that might be. And that could... And that tells you a bit about Eddie's place in the standing. But ultimately, they've not given him the 1-11 to number that they did Bakayo and Emil. And mm. I think that reflects his position probably in the squad at this point in time. But yeah, I've got no objections at all to him taking the number 14. We can't... You know, we have associations with these numbers and historic players who've worn them, but we can't be precious about it. I'd rather we reuse them than, than that we had players out there wearing yeah. like 40-something and 50-something. Yeah, you know? exactly. I don't uh, get on board with the idea of retiring numbers or anything like that. Um, you know, I, the, the, the it's just a number thing sounds, make it makes it sound like the number doesn't have any significance. Of course it does. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't change anything that the previous incumbent or previous incumbents have done. And look, we've talked about number nine at Arsenal a lot, the curse of the number nine mm -hmm. and the players who have had it over the years who haven't quite lived up to the expectations that we have about that particular number, you know? So, um, yeah, look, good luck to Eddie. He's got number yeah. 14. I hope it goes really well for him because if it goes really well for him, it goes really well for Arsenal. And ultimately, um, that's what we want. The other thing we want, James is out-of-the-blue transfer news. Well, you're in luck. You were in luck last week. We were, week. weren't we? Um, Fabio Vieira from Porto, um, not mentioned at all as far as I can see this summer as somebody that Arsenal were interested in. Um, and then there's a story, and then uh, David Ornstein um, tweeted about it, and... It looks like that is going to be the first major transfer of summer 2022 from an Arsenal perspective. So mm -hmm. um, do, do you enjoy those, these kind of uh, left field surprises? Because they don't that happen that often. Came, came on my birthday as well. So <laughs> I, uh, I doubly enjoyed it. Yeah, it, it's done from what I hear. Um, that deal is, is completely done and will be announced imminently. Um, might even be today. Who knows? But, Before the end of the podcast. Yeah, Will they do it before me. the end of the podcast? 9am, 10am, could happen. Um, really 
cool <laughs> to see it come out of nowhere. Uh, I mean, I, the player had been mentioned in association with Manchester United a little bit this summer, um, a couple of stories earlier in the week. But yeah, there was a report in Portugal that Arsenal had agreed to, to pay Porto's asking price. Uh, and then it developed very, very quickly from there. And, you know, as a sort of someone who's, you know, trying to write about transfers journalistically, it's kind of, it's surprising to me when something comes completely out of left field. Mm. But it's also quite nice because um, a lot of the time I sort of have to deal with people saying like, "Where? what are Arsenal doing? They're not doing anything, you know. Spurs are doing their business. Well, I... Edu's, all he does is barbecue. Um, and it's nice to know that, well, obviously, you know, I think this is pretty evident, but that the club are working. And just because something isn't in the public domain mm. doesn't mean it's not happening behind the scenes. And credit to the club, they kept this one incredibly quiet. I think that was aided by the fact it was a deal they were able to do very quickly, although they've been watching the player for you know quite a number of months, from what I understand. Mm. Um I think the way Porto work helped facilitate how quickly this deal was done. You know, this is a, a Mendes client and Mendes' relationship with Porto is very healthy, uh, certainly healthy for him from an economic perspective. And, you know, they're quite clear parameters on, well, yeah, we've got to sell a certain number of players each summer. If these prices are met, they can go, you know, and I think he was able to facilitate that deal happening very, very fast. Mm. So... Yeah, really interesting signing. One that definitely caught a lot of people off guard, but fits, you know, fits yeah. with the profile of the kind of deals we were doing last summer. A really promising young player with plenty of talent. 22 years of age, uh, attacking midfielder, can play as a second striker. We will, of course, have a uh, a new player podcast for you over on Patreon. Um, that's basically ready to go. Uh, myself and Phil Costa talking about that. So that will be ready to go on Patreon as soon as that becomes officially official, if you need more official than James saying the deal is done. Um, somehow, I think uh, some people might, but, uh, you know, I trust you completely on this one. We had a question, though, from... <laughs> we had a question on the Discord from Lil Moosey 13 who said, Good morning, gents. Why was George Mendes explicitly mentioned in David Ornstein's tweet about the imminent Vieira signing? That's not normally newsworthy um i mean does he like to publicize his involvement in deals when he gets them done um i mean i, I know don't know if that's it I, I think it's genuinely because um i think this is the first mendez client at arsenal certainly in the modern era mm. um he was of course involved in the nicolas pepe deal nicolas pepe deal yeah as a broker but uh, I, I think the reason it's significant is because I think it's a, a key part of how this deal got done, as I was kind of alluding to yeah. before. I think that, you know, presumably the relationship between Mendes and Edu has been important here. Um, and, and I think it's interesting, you know, he, he has quite the stable of talent and there is such a production line of players coming out of Portugal and arguably, you know, Porto Benfica particularly. Shit, I'm um, just looking at his client list here it's it is kind of extraordinary it's ridiculous bernardo silva ruben diaz uh cancelo fabinho jota uh, darwin nunez ederson ruben neves 
Oh my goodness, Cristiano Ronaldo, Renato Sanchez. He should just start his own club, really. Um, <laughs> I mean, some would say that's what Wolves is, but yeah, th- 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 there is a bracket of player that he Matt, probably can't. Matt Doherty. <laughs> Yeah, Matt Doherty, of course. There is a bracket of player that he can't move to Wolves, you know, who are probably at mm. the high end um, in terms of the price or who want to go somewhere who have, you know, European football immediately. Uh, and hopefully this lad is someone who fits into that bracket. And if Arsenal are being viewed as a potential destination now mm. for that sort of player, I think that's a really positive thing. Um Unfortunately, this is the nature of football that so much of it depends on relationships. And, you know, if you're going to get to know somebody or going yeah. to start working with somebody, Mendes is one. And, and and I think, you know, when you look at what he's done at Wolves, the players he's brought in there, I mean, there have been more hits than misses by and large. Um, and it's the same with those top, top clients that you mentioned. Mm. Um, so I think, I think, uh, I think this is a really interesting deal. And, and it, you know, I don't know a ton about the player. I mean, that's sort of my job this week to try and find out a bit more about him. But one of the, the Mendes clients you mentioned there is Bernardo Silva. And speaking to a few people about uh, Fabio Vieira, like that is a comparison that has been made. And yeah. that's a comparison that I love, <laughs> to be honest with you, because that's exactly the sort of footballer we need. I mean... The ret- the return to, and, and people have mentioned, I think I wrote about on the blog at the weekend, that there was a quote from Arteta a couple of, couple of years ago when he was talking about the, the technicians that Arsenal used to have. And he mentioned uh, Rosicki and Arshavin and um, I can't remember, Fabregas. I can't remember, Santi Cazorla. You know, these highly skilled technical players, maybe not the biggest guys in the world, but what they can do with the ball is... Um, really, really important. Uh, we did have a, an associated question here. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, da, da, da. Uh, no, I got it somewhere. It's probably going to be the last one I look at. Uh, I can't remember. I can't find it. So I apologize to uh, whoever it was that asked it. Um, but basically, it was, you know, Arteta's comment about we need to make... 20,000 passes in the opposition half, mm-hmm. um, you know, rather than rather than send on Rob Holding to soak up all the pressure, another way of dealing with that is to, you know, keep the ball and keep the opposition away from your goal. And that idea of being a bit more dominant in the opposition half is a very exciting one because it's a, it's a slight change in the way that things operate, being more dominant in possession, I think is something that Mikel Arteta actually wants from the team that he has at his disposal. And a player like this will give you that ability. I mean, we talk about, you know, what he can do with the ball, like 18, 16 assists, I think, in all uh, competitions for Porto last season. He got goals, looks to be quite two-footed as well, certainly in, in terms of his finishing. But the other aspect of having really technical players is you keep the ball better. And that is one way of, if you want to call it defending, defending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he'll help in that respect. I think the goals and assists from midfield areas is a huge bonus, something Arsenal desperately need more of. Um, 
I just think he looks like a really interesting player who could play a number of different positions. I mean, he's played a lot as a kind of second striker, number 10. He's played as a false nine. He's played deeper in the midfield. Um, so he ticks a number of different mm. boxes. And I'm really curious to see more of him. I used the word pedigree regarding Eddie Nketiah. This is another player of really good pedigree who's always been you know, highly rated all through the age group. So... Yeah. Uh, yeah, listen, it's an exciting signing. And, and when you don't expect them, uh, I think they are all the more exciting. And to be honest, when you don't know a ton about them, because they could be anything, you know, and we're able to kind of project all our hopes and aspirations onto them. But I think, um, yeah, it, it, it looks yeah. like a really interesting deal and a smart addition. And, and from what I hear, this was a player that Mikel Arteta just absolutely loved. And when it was a, a doable deal at a price that they felt was fair, there was no hesitation whatsoever. Excellent. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, it's the land on the Discord who asked that question about Arteta um, and the 20,000 passes. He says 1,000 passes. I don't know how many 1,000 passes he was talking about. We'll have to get to the bottom of that uh, at some point. But yeah, no, I, I, I like it. And I like the aspect of when something like this happens, like quite a lot, um, when Arsenal are linked with a player, there's a bit of like, oh, not that guy, mm. not him, um, which I've had a bit too much of. of Especially of, when of, we like, know them very well. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I think familiarity breeds contempt. So if it's a Premier League player or you know, Chelsea always that thing player, of, oh, not him. Yeah, exactly. Whereas you know, this guy, he's got uh, an unblemished track record with us as Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You'll have to convince yourself or talk yourself into why this is a good deal. Okay, look, I'll overlook the fact that he's old and comes from a club I hate, but, you know, maybe he could do a job, you know, and I think we, you know, as fans in general, try and look for the most optimistic outcome with every transfer that happens, but sometimes it's just, uh, it's nice to get a guy who's fresh, clean sheets, if you like. There's no spud from train spotting waking up in the morning kind of aspect to a transfer uh, Mm -hmm. like this. (laughs) Uh, Let me ask you a question because we had a number of questions about this um, because there have been a number of reports of varying... Varying reports, I should say, about Yuri Tielemans and Omar on Twitter, who's at Go91Omar, said, uh, Hello, I just want to ask, what's the situation exactly with Yuri Tielemans and why there are conflicting reports? Some say that Arsenal have cooled their interest. Others say that Arsenal are still interested, but haven't made their first bid. And then, of course, there were stories about how it was all going to be done and dusted in the next 48 hours. So there's like a whole circular thing going on regarding Tielemans. Do you have any insight into what's going on there? I do, but I'm a bit cautious of it because, like you say, there's a lot of conflicting reports out there and Mm. um, it seems to be an evolving situation. I mean, obviously, when Arsenal signed... Oh, not signed, but when they agreed a fee with Porto for Vieira, your immediate thought is like, well, who is that instead of? You know, of the targets that we know about or the mooted Mm. deals that are out there, um, how does that fit into that pattern? And probably the most exciting, well, what I found the most exciting piece of information uh, that I heard last week was that this deal did not affect either Gabriel Jesus or potentially even Arsenal's pursuit of Rafinha. Um, You know, the the prospect of Arsenal bringing in three attacking players of that quality, although I think they would need to lose one in in Nicola Pepe for that to happen, Mm. um, was really, really exciting. Um, 
The Tielemans situation, as far as I know it, is that Arsenal are his only real suitor at this point in time. And there is an extent to which, with Arsenal having not qualified from the Champions League, uh, it's slightly cooled his... Uh, only slightly, but slightly cooled his sort of eagerness to make that move happen. And from an Arsenal perspective, there are a couple of factors that slightly cooled their interest. One being that they think they're the only show in town at this point in time. So right. they don't feel a need to uh, cough up whatever Leicester demand immediately. Mm-hmm. The other being that I think Granite Shaka, it's funny we talked about this last week. I think Granite Shaka could be a factor in this. Um, I think there is concern not just about playing time between those two, but I think also about salary potentially and salary allocation. So I think that Arsenal will kind of bide their time on this one and see how things develop. I mean, they certainly view Vieira as someone who can play as a kind of advanced midfield number eight. Where so, where Xhaka has played. Yeah. I mean, this has been a really interesting week for me because – I don't know if you remember, back at the live Askcast Extra, we were talking about transfers. Mm. And I was like, well, from what I understand, and I wrote this the following week, they want a centre-forward, a number eight, and a left-sided centre-back. And uh, there have been times over the intervening weeks where I've sort of gone, I hope that was right. <laughs> because uh, there have been times where you know people have said, we don't need a left-sided centre-back, and it's not going to happen, and blah, blah, blah. Um, but you've got to trust your information. And I think, weirdly enough, you know, if Arsenal can get Gabriel Jesus, uh, Fabio Vieira, and if they can sign Lissandro Martinez, who, you know, is now out there as a, a, a very important target for Arsenal this summer, they may feel those are those boxes uh, ticked. And I think at that point, Tielemans becomes sort of a bonus signing rather than an essential. Uh, and that's where I think that one is. I think Arsenal are still interested. I think the players are interested, but I just think there's not much movement on it at mm. this point in time. And it's interesting. There have been some suggestions that, oh, maybe Tielemans would be happy now to stay at Leicester or see out his contract or maybe even contemplate signing a new short-term contract. Um, so I, I think it's accurate to say that it's cooled slightly. I wouldn't say it's dead, but I think it's fair to say it's cool and it's maybe being less intensely pursued than some of the other deals we're discussing at this point in time. Mm, because, yeah, I mean, when I looked at, you know, the YouTube clips of, of Fabio Vieira and I looked at the kind of profile that he had, I my, my thought is like, this is a guy who gives you depth and quality and cover uh, in positions um, where we already have Bakayo Saka and Martin yeah. Odegaard, who can't play all the games, who can't play all the European games and all the Premier League games. That's a reality. We have to have a player for for those positions. And I, I, I you know, from my limited um, scouting, if you want to call it that, by watching some videos on YouTube and, and Scout, he looked pretty perfect as that guy, but that still leaves you with the midfield upgrade, if you want to call it an upgrade, that that everyone is kind of looking for. Um, So whether they see him as that or a way of getting him as much football as possible is for him to be uh, 
available in available in all those positions, I guess we'll have to just wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting. I agree with you. He looks to me like a kind of a Martin Odegaard alternate or maybe Bukayo Saka alternate. Mm. Um, but I, I do think that there's something about the shape of the team developing. I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Lissandro Martinez, but I think that's a really interesting link that could potentially change the way we set up the side. Um, you know, so he's the Ajax left-sided centre-half or yeah. left-back. And uh, Arsenal, I really, really, really like him. And from what I hear, they like him as a centre-half, but they also really like him as a left-back because they feel that he can do the kind of job Tommy Asu does on the right-hand side, on the left-hand side, where he can kind of underpin mm. the team tactically. And where I think that becomes really interesting is then, well, what kind of, if you've got that sort of left back who can kind of tuck in and play a bit in, in midfield in deeper areas, what kind of number eight does that allow you to play yeah. in front of that? Um, also, what does it mean for the left backs that we currently have? Well, um, yes, that's true. I mean, I, you know, I think he would be, uh, I think it would mean Nuno Tavares going out on loan, and mm. I think uh, he would be serious, serious competition for Kieran Tierney. Um, but I, I think that knock-on effect of then, well, does having a left-back like that, who, you know, has played in holding midfield before mm. and can kind of come in field and operate in a lot of those Granite Xhaka areas, does that enable you to play a Vieira or a Saka or a Smith-Rowe or an Odegaard, whoever it might be, kind of on in that interior midfield role but yeah. in a more advanced position. And and in that situation, does Tielemans look as essential? I don't know. I would yeah. like us to sign Tielemans, but it's just interesting, like these are all composite parts in a, a bigger plan and it's fascinating to wonder how they might dovetail together. Well that's it. That's it. I suppose, you know, we we from the outside had an idea that the plan was, you know, the names that have been mentioned, centre forward Gabriel Jesus, central midfield Yuri Tielemans. Yeah. And Fabio Vieira, as much as it's a bolt from the blue in terms of a signing, might also be uh, either a shift in plan or, you know, it's, it's. Um, I don't mean it's thrown us off course, but maybe we have to consider the way that the team is going to be put together um, this this summer. And, and, you know, what we thought they were going to do might be different from what they're actually trying to do or going to do. Um, I mean, a couple of days ago, David Ornstein saying that Arsenal's defensive priority this window is Lissandro Martinez. Mm -hmm. um, so the interest in him is obviously very real and very significant. Uh, I saw talk this morning that Manchester United might be interested. Whether or not that's true remains to be seen. Obviously, Former uh, manager there. Former manager. So. so that makes some sense. But whether it's Ajax looking to um, maximize their return on a player, you know, by playing two clubs off each other or, or, you know, trying to make Arsenal pay up and get a deal done quickly. These are the machinations of the transfer market. But I agree with you. I think he's a really interesting player if we bring him in because at five foot nine, whatever he is, although he does play at, at center half, He's a little bit small for my liking yeah. in that position. But the idea of him as a left back or as a sort of tucked in um, 
third central defender, if you want to mm-hmm. call it that, in that Tommy Asu style is a really interesting thing to consider. And then, you know, what, what we do in midfield. I mean, we did have a question because, you know, we have talked a lot about the um, the importance of key positions and the drop-off uh, and Fadi Bustros on Twitter, or Fadi Bustros on Twitter, who's at Fadi Han, says, transfer plans so far look promising, but I can't help feel we'll remain short of depth in central midfield. There's no talk of a party backup. Any talk of Tielemann seems at the expense of Granite Xhaka. So it, is that a worry for you? Is that a concern for you that, like, we are, I don't mean to say, like, completely reliant on Thomas Partey, but he plays such a defined role in this current setup that as we saw towards the end of the um towards the end of the season, that when he was missing, we missed a lot as a team as well. I mean is that is that I know you've talked about Sambi being um developed as a number six. Is that still the plan or or do you think they might be um looking at something in that area too i don't think they are looking at something in that area i I say that because of obviously sambi who you know they still really believe in they signed last summer and i think they expect him to continue to develop um but also mohamed el neni you know they they did the contract for mohamed el neni and i think that probably closed the door on a, a signing in that position um, I think if they sign another midfield player, it will be someone more advanced. And and as I said earlier, I wouldn't be. I I, I st- this Granite Shaka thing is is it is definitely a thing. You know this idea that can you bring in somebody that pushes him out of the side and keep him around? Um, so that I mean, you think that there might be a reluctance on Arsenal's part to bring in a central midfielder who would. Um, essentially demote Granite Xhaka because that would probably precipitate his departure. Like he would want to go. No, I think think they'd be open to him going if if there there was a a deal out there, but I'm not sure there is. I mean, Mm. Nemanja Matic went to Roma and that kind of killed the prospects of Xhaka going there. I know there's been some talk about Germany, but that was about loan deals. I don't think that's acceptable to Arsenal. Um, so I I wonder if there would have to be, uh, if Shaka would have to go for Tielemans mm. to come in at this point in time. I, I can't say that definitively, and and it may just be that this cooling off is a negotiation with Leicester. You know, a, a, a way of walking away from the deal, believing you're the only show in town, and thinking you can come back in and get him for less later in the window. Yeah, um, that might be the case, but but at the moment, I think. I, I I would sort of I, if Tielemann signs, I would expect that Shaka might leave. Hmm. Um, yeah, that that's that's my latest understanding. But these things, you know, change and develop all the yeah. time, so it's tricky. I, I mean, the Lissandro Martinez one is a great example. So, um, not yesterday, but a week prior to that, the the Sunday, um, I. And uh, my colleagues at The Athletic, we knew that Arsenal were interested in Lissandro Martinez, but we didn't know how much. And I <laughs> I was writing a piece about William Saliba that was going to go out on the following Friday um, because I was on holiday Thursday and Friday. So I wrote it on the Wednesday to go out on the Friday. And I thought, well, I'll hold on to that Lissandro Martinez information. And then on Friday morning, I'll say, 
Arsenal have a sort of tentative interest in him, which yeah. was my understanding at the time. So anyway, go on, write that on Wednesday, go on holiday Thursday, Friday morning that comes out. Arsenal interested in Lissandra Martinez, sort of, you know, very nebulous, unclear exactly how interested. Then at lunchtime during my holiday, I get a phone call from David Ornstein. We think it's much more advanced than we did. And so by the evening... I think we were saying Arsenal have had one bid rejected for Lissandro Martinez and he is their top defensive priority. So, so it's, it's just mad how fast your, the information you get changes and moves and develops. And uh, anything you're saying that's even like two or three days out of date or from a, con- a conversation with a contact, sure, it can be different by the time you're speaking. But the last I knew... The Tielemans thing might be contingent on Shaka going, and at the moment there isn't an obvious destination for Shaka. Right, right. The moving parts, yeah, of squad building and team building in the transfer market. Um, I mean, I think everyone understands that that's how it works, but I guess there's going to be an anxiety on, um, you know, on behalf of Arsenal fans who want that midfield signing this summer as well. So uh, we'll have to wait and see how that one develops. Look, we've uh, we've gotten, I think, to the end of part one because we've covered the main stories, Eddie Tielemans, and uh, we've mentioned the two players, Fabio Vieira and Lissandro Martinez uh, as well, who are being strongly linked. So let's see what happens there. Who knows, by the time we finish this podcast, there could be new developments. That's, uh, that's how <laughs> yeah, quick things are that's going. That's the way it goes at the moment. All right, well, we've got questions. We'll do those and more in part two right after this. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. 
Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at GunnerBlog and at Arsblog and also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Um, do you want to go first or will I go first? Uh, I'll go first if that's all right. Okay, yeah. Had this question on Twitter from Adam Smith. I think it's an interesting one and one that may be put to the test on the in the case of Lissandro Martinez. Adam Smith says, Evening, gents. Oh, morning, I guess. Been thinking this for a while, but do you think we're now a more attractive option for players than Man United? They seem to be in real trouble and giving out big wages just to attract players. Do players look at us and maybe see the chance of a real trajectory? That's a really good question. Because, I, you know, I think Arsenal as a football club has a certain stature and we've talked about London as a, an attractive thing for players coming to the Premier League. But, you know, Manchester United, despite the fact they're in absolute shambles and have been for a few years, I still think there's a real draw there for for any player, really. Um, particularly as it looks as if they've put in charge a, a competent manager and will probably try and... I'm not going to say copy Arsenal, but do something similar to what Arsenal have done in terms of clearing out and then recruiting with a strategy, you know? Mm. And I don't know that there's been a great deal of strategy to Manchester United's recruitment over the last number of years. So if you're talking about potential, um, while it still has to be proven, I think they could probably talk anyone into signing for them at this point you know, Manchester United, simply because they can afford the fees, they can afford the wages, um, and they can, you know, they can offer growth and development and, and things like that. But I do think certainly Arsenal for a particular profile of player is more attractive now than it would have been a couple of years ago. No question. No question. I mean, there is clear strategy in what we're doing. This is a young team, I'm, I'm going to say, like, obviously Arsenal is uh, an old historic club, but it feels like a young club at the moment when you look at who's there, not just on the playing field, but Mikel Arteta is the youngest manager in the Premier League, Edu, Vinay, Josh Kroenke, you know, the people at executive level are, are pretty young as well, like the key uh, movers and shakers in that regard. So there's a sort of a sense of youthful optimism about Arsenal these days. You're not bringing in over-the-hill guys. You're not bringing in guys who are looking at Arsenal and saying, this is good. I'll go there for a couple of years. I don't have to leave London. I don't have to move house. I can just turn up and continue to play in the Premier League and they'll give me big money and, you know, it'd be nice and easy here. You know, I think that that part of it is gone now. Mm. And that's good. That's really good. And you look at the squad at Arsenal and I don't know that we've got necessarily, you know, the way we used to talk about, like, wouldn't it be, uh, you know, if you're thinking about signing for Arsenal, you want to come and play with Dennis Bergkamp or Thierry Henry or Cesc Fabregas or Robin Van Persie or whatever it might be. The, the players like that are kind of a draw 
as well. But I think the draw these days is more collective. It's like if you could go and now you're going to go and you're going to play with um, Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe and Gabriel Martinelli and Martin Odegaard. And these guys aren't necessarily going to be your seniors, if you like. They're going to be your peers in a way. I think that's a really attractive prospect for a certain type of player, you know? Um, yeah, I remember Nuno Tavares last summer saying he wanted to come and play with the Smith. Um, the Smith, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I think also you know as a young player you'll get opportunities. Yeah, that's that's the other side of it. That is the other side of it. And like it wasn't long ago where people were saying Mikel Arteta does not like young players. He doesn't want to play them. He doesn't trust them or anything like that. And I think what we've seen is that that's not true. He he definitely likes young players. Maybe some of it is more by, um, you know, what we've had to do as a football club. But also, when he feels they're ready, he'll play them. Um, so that's got to be a part of it too. Like if you're 21, 22, 23, and you're going to Arsenal, you know you will get opportunities. Mm. Um and those kits, Andrew, you get to wear those glorious kits every season. Yeah. yeah. That's the real that's, that's the real pull factor. The sixteen it, it, kits a season that Arsenal <laughs> release. <laughs> it's an interesting one, the comparison with United, because obviously we finished above them in the league. Um and they're in the they're not in the Europa League, are they? They're in the No, they're in the Europa League. They're in the Europa League. Are oh, they Europa yeah, League? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, they West Ham screwed it up on the final day. So they're in the same European competition as us. They they remain a financial force. I mean, in salary terms, I suspect United can outstrip Arsenal in terms of what they mm. would offer. But on the other side of the coin, Arsenal have London, which is a major factor, I think, for a lot of foreign players. Um I don't know. It, it's basically United will always have a pull, I think, or at least they will for the next few years. They they will retain that. Uh, and if Ten Hag sorts them out, then mm. I think you know they'll um, they'll continue to have that. I think we should really worry about ourselves. And as you say, I think we have made Arsenal a more attractive place mm. to be of late, for sure. Here's a an interesting one. A couple of interesting ones here, um, and I might follow it up with another one after this, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, a couple from the Discord. San Carico. Um, goodly morning, chaps. We were a self-sustaining club for a very long time. It feels like we are spending beyond our means, at least in terms of net spending over the past couple of years and COVID-related losses. What do you think has changed, and how are we funding this new project? I'm genuinely excited about the ambition, but also wondering about the how. Is it that uh, the long term of not being in the Champions League and the value of uh, the Arsenal asset declining, which is more expensive than a short-term hit, for example. Uh, and then we had another one from uh, Lukasmu Ehler, underscore Ehler. He said, goodly day to you two. I have a question concerning the club spending. At what point do we go from saying those clubs who spend all that money to saying us clubs who spend all that money as highest spenders last year. And looking at this summer's rumoured numbers, it feels a little bit hypocritical to be pointing fingers at other clubs. Great questions. I think on that final point about spending, I I keep saying this, but I do think it's important to uh, kind of consider salaries alongside transfer fees when looking at expenditure. You know, we spent a lot more money than Manchester United in terms of fees last mm. summer, but they were 
chucking out contracts to the likes of Varane and Ronaldo that will dwarf anything that we were giving to any of our new players last summer. Yeah. Um, and so there is a sort of measure of responsibility in the way Arsenal are spending. It's been within a relatively tight and defined wage structure and a lot of the biggest earners have left the club. And that's why I think the Eddie and Ketcher deal is interesting because it's like, does that broach that or does it um, mess with the structure Arsenal have worked really hard to put in place over the last couple of years? Hopefully mm. not. Um, but we are a rich club, aren't we? In context, I mean, you know, if you look at certainly global football as a whole, we are one of the wealthy clubs. We're not close to the likes of City or PSG or Newcastle. But among the other clubs, um, mm. we are in the healthy position to be backed by somebody incredibly wealthy um, who is essentially able to... Uh, what's the word? What would be, I don't know the financial terms, but who essentially can help Arsenal... Bankroll. Borrow. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and borrow money, essentially, to spend. Now, most of this expenditure... He's probably in the forms of loans. Um, you know, we know there's a substantial loan to KSE, for mm. example, at the present time. And I know something the AST are concerned about is, you know, what are the terms of that loan? Um, the only thing I've been told by the club, and to be fair, this is what they would say, is that the terms of that loan are very favourable to Arsenal. Mm. Um, and to be fair, I sort of think, why wouldn't they be? Like, why why are Arsenal spending money? I think the first question kind of hit the nail on the head, which is that they have to continue to spend money to maintain their value as an asset within the sort of KSE portfolio. And that's partly about European football, but it's also mm. about perception. And unfortunately, it's probably also about when inevitably some bastardised version of a Super League is presented... Arsenal will always want to be in a position to be in that conversation and maintaining that kind of profile is expensive. Yeah. Um, so I think Arsenal are spending and KSC are sanctioning spending because it makes Arsenal a more valuable asset for them in the longer term. It would probably be my guess. And in terms of what's changed, KSC would say we have 100% ownership. Whether or not that's true, you know, people's opinion will vary on that, but yeah. that's certainly their line. It is an interesting what, what one, yeah. Think? I mean, we've got to spend because we have to. If you want to... Look, I don't think the only um, way to show ambition is by spending money. And I think your point about wages is a really interesting one as well. In that, mm -hmm. you know, some of the, the, the biggest earners have been um, stripped away from our wage bill. Like a lot has come off the wage bill in the last couple of years. No two ways Huge about it. Huge amounts. Massive when you think about some of the players who've left. The savings in, in savings, if you want to call them that, in wages. But, you know, to get back to where you want to get to from a sporting perspective, you still have to spend money. There's a, an element of, you know, in football, you're, you're kind of keeping up with the Joneses in a way, you know? Like you've yeah. you've got to spend to stay rest. competitive. Yeah, it is. And I think that was a, a a term we used last week, wasn't it? That there's a sort of an arms race for top four and beyond. If you consider going beyond the top four, uh, realistic 
ambition, which, I, you know, I, I hope it is for Arsenal, but we've got to acknowledge that we're fighting against um, deeper pockets than our own. But at the end of the day, if we're spending more money than any other club, as we did last uh, last summer, um, I suppose it's it's where the money comes from that might divide people on 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 that uh, issue. Well, you know, I, I have a question about that, and, and and just before yeah we get onto it, I think I think at the present time with Arsenal suffering the COVID losses that they have, it would be wrong to describe us as a self sustaining club. It wouldn't be possible for us to self sustain mm. at this particular point in time. What we can hope is that we are building the club in a way that is uh, sustainable, shall we say, economically. Yeah. Um, but only with the support of the ownership at this present time, and, and and a lot of clubs will be in that position because of the huge losses they've suffered. Yeah. Geezy Peas on Twitter. I was going to ask you that one, yeah. Yeah, has asked, should the club slash clubs in general take a more of an ethical stance when, when it comes to sponsorship or all sell rights to the highest bidder to maximise revenue? Do they have a choice? I mean, I think they should, mm-hmm. to be honest. I would like it if they did. I would certainly like it if Arsenal did. Um, but do they have a choice? That's the... I mean, of course they have a choice. But the choice is perhaps a a financial disparity, which won't fly with fans when it comes right down to what's going on on the football pitch like they could take a they could take a stance on sponsorship deals and say well look we don't believe this is the right thing to do and it will hurt us financially and people will say bravo well done but as soon as you need to score goals you know they they got to spend money to get another striker you know that way yeah, yeah. So it yeah. is. It is a difficult one. It is a difficult one. Um, but I, I do wish there was a bit more. I mean, I've, I've seen talk of um, Everton's new sponsor. Um, over the weekend on Twitter, we have that ongoing deal with Socios, which I think is pretty grotty, to be honest. Mm-hmm. The visit Rwanda on our sleeve. Um, and all the association of that with what's going on in the UK yeah. is really, I don't like it at all. Um, could Arsenal do without that £10 million every year or whatever it is? I'd say they probably could find a different sponsor if they wanted. Um, but it is it is just the way, unfortunately, the world works, isn't it? That That... A lot of, and we've talked a lot about sports washing, haven't we? Um, and quite often things like sponsorship deals are in that kind of ballpark, aren't they? Where it's a big company or a big corporation or whatever it is using its financial clout to whitewash is the wrong word, but, you know, to sort of put a facade over their own image, you know? Mm. But uh, I don't know what the answer is. Yeah, I mean, there are degrees of sports washing, aren't there? You know, buying a football club and, uh, Mm. you know, changing its fortunes is uh, maybe one end of the spectrum, but, you know, sticking your name on a sleeve or whatever it might Mm. be is is also along that spectrum somewhere. Um, 
I think this is a really tricky one because I personally would take great satisfaction and pride in a club who were very discerning about Agree, what yeah. sponsorships they accepted. But I, in all honesty, I don't think that view is representative of the wider support base. Um, do you not? Do you not though? I mean, do you not think that like fans of pretty much every club would like their club to be an institution which upholds but decent moral standards. I know. I mean, I, I, I talked, I said that, like, you know, it's fine to take this, uh, I don't want to call it the moral high ground because, you know, sometimes it's the right thing to do. Um, Let me rephrase that. Sorry. Yeah. I, I would be happy to support a club who made ethical choices, even if it cost them, Mm. Uh, on the football pitch that that's my position and i i i'm i would be surprised listen and this is based purely anecdotally on the interactions i have with fans i'd be surprised if that position was borne out a- across the entire fan base maybe i'm wrong but i don't think it'd be the entire fan base but i think there would be um it, this is the whole thing like what people want success and they want their team to be the best and they want it to win and unfortunately, in this day and age, that means the choices they make, I'm not just talking about Arsenal, but football clubs in general, are dictated to by money and how much money they can get in. And the provenance of that money or the source of that money is very much a secondary concern. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the reality. And that's we've seen that across the Premier League in Europe, across sport in general. Um, but I, I suppose you're looking maybe to, yeah, how do, yeah, I don't know how you, um, don't know how you I talk mean, about this apart from on like on an, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there, must- there is, but I, I'm just trying to think about how you talk about this beyond it being an individual thing. Um, cause you can't yeah. talk on behalf of anyone else. You know what I mean? Um, no. I, I agree with you. I would like, I would like Arsenal to make ethical choices when it comes to sponsors. But then again, you know, I remember, um, when the whole Kroenke Usmanov thing was going on that initially there was quite an opposition to Usmanov. And then when we weren't winning trophies, it was like, well, I don't really care where that money comes from because everyone else is. Uh, using money that comes from difficult places. And look, we've seen what's happened in the last few months and where that might have landed us and et cetera, et cetera. And it's not to say, um, you know, that that viewpoint was, you know, better than anyone else's, but there are sometimes consequences when it comes to taking money from unethical places, if you like. Um, There can be, yeah. yeah. I mean, um, you know, Chelsea, well, they did find that out to a certain extent. Um, it's really complex. I mean, basically my, how can I put it? My perception is that nothing wins more favor in football than results ultimately. Yeah. And any point of principle can have a certain degree of value, but it's always one upped by results. And if Arsenal correlate this money, and receiving it with results, then they'll feel justified in their actions. Yeah. Personally, like I say, 
I would be prepared to make sacrifices to support an institution who made more ethical choices. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like you're right. I can only speak for myself. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah. Broadly. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question from getting back to football uh, from Joe, who's at Red and White Eleven, who says, "I was thinking that Brook Norton Cuffey would come back and fight for a squad place in preseason, but last night I saw he's at the under nineteen Euros. How will this impact his chance of a breakthrough? And is a, is another loan possibly on the cards?" And there was a, a reply here from uh, Dan Critchlow at AFCDW, who said, "I'm sure the guys will know more. I don't know that <laughs> that's true." He said, "But it's worth mentioning he's already." had his holiday Lincoln City's season ended in April so even if England make the final he could be back before Arsenal's first tour in Germany so he's he's the name I think that's bubbling under or on many people's lips this summer uh, as the next potential breakthrough from academy level yeah I mean I don't know if he'll go on loan or not we've just done a story actually this morning about a couple of young players going to play in the Eredivisie in Holland um Omar Rakik and Mika Beerith are both going to play it's good. Uh, in the Dutch league next season. I think it's really good. I think it's really promising. Rakik's going to Sparta Rotterdam uh, and Beerith to RKC Valvik. Valvik. Valvik, something mm. like that. Uh, and, you know, those are loans that should be really beneficial to their development and mean that either we get back players who are closer to the first team or who've built some value. Mm. Potentially, we might be able to sell. I mean, uh, Rekic's going to go to the World Cup uh, most likely in yeah. November. So it could be a really big year in his development. Um, Brooke Norton Cuffey, I don't know yet what the plans are for him, but he looks like such an interesting player. And I know Art has been down to watch him at Lincoln City mm. and came back absolutely glowing about him. Um, he feels like a really modern, athletic fullback who can do it all. He's playing wing back a lot at Lincoln, which mm. I think really emphasised his strengths. Um, I th- I imagine he'll go out on loan, to be honest, just because I think Tommy Asu will be here. I think Cedric will be here. I think uh, Ben White is definitely seen as someone who can cover in right back areas if necessary. Mm. And, and I think maybe, you know, he's that little bit behind some of the other younger players where I think at this point, game time is going to be critical for his development. If he could go and play in, you know, the championship, say, or something like the Dutch league, I think it'd be really, really good for him. So I would imagine it going that way. But he, of the sort of clutch coming through, who we haven't seen much of yet, you know, I think he is one of those who I think has got a real, real, real chance. Yeah. Yeah, I think the loan uh, move is probably the best thing Uh, for a player of his age and having had a good loan spell at Lincoln, take another step, get another season of senior football under your belt and then come back and, and, you know, really be ready, if you like, to to challenge for a place uh, at a club like Arsenal, who we hope, of course, are going to make more progress next season. So, you know, that raises the bar across the board. So, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, he is a very interesting looking player. Um, And I know I mentioned this before, but there was a great video on the Arsenal YouTube channel um, sort of it's only about seven minutes long but it's a good look at him and how he approached his loan spell at Lincoln and how it went for him so worth checking that out if you're at a loose end uh, today um is it my question or your I think it's your question okay I mean 
What about this? I thought this was interesting from Connor, who's at Kazne7 on Twitter. And Connor says, is anyone worried about the lack of fun in the dressing room? It feels like all the jokers <laughs> are gone. Ober, Lacquer, Iwobi, etc. I know Arteta wants serious players, but might the dressing room be too st- be too stifled and serious? Um, I, I don't. I look of all the things that I worry about <laughs> with regards to Arsenal, the the lack of. Dressing room jokers isn't really high. Should we on or that should list. we not re-sign a Boue? Is what is what I'm getting at here. <laughs> Look, I I I think there are big personalities in every dressing room. There's no two ways about it. But when guys like Aubameyang go, when guys like Lacazette go, you know, other players step up and become those figures, become influential, become the uh king of bants or whatever the hell you want to call it you know that's just normal so i don't i don't think like it's a how would you call it like a a stiflingly serious environment at arsenal where no laughing is allowed you will not laugh during training there is to be no hijinks do not enjoy yourself this is ser- you know i don't think that's just not how football works that's not how it happens when you're training or when you're playing you know it's kind of fun because that's what you love to do. It doesn't mean that it's not serious work. Of course it is, but I don't worry about that at all. Do you? No, I understand the question because I do think Arteta looks for a very, I think, I think he's drawn to a very serious sort of studious type of player. Mm. Um, And I think that's why he feels affinity with people like Granite Xhaka or Martin Odegaard, um, you know, because they're just very dedicated and highly uh, professional in some respects. And that's what he was like as a player. Mm. I don't think he was, um, you know, regarded for his, uh, you know, uh, effervescent sense of humour necessarily during his time as club <laughs> captain. But um, I, I also think, uh, to be fair, I look at the most successful squads in the league, like Liverpool and Man City, and it's not like they've got, you know, Jesse Lingard or Emmanuel Frimpong as a sort of class clown, you know? <laughs> but, I, but, you know, I, I think yeah, yeah, that yeah. success sometimes correlates with a certain type of personality. And to be fair, I'm sure there are uh, people within the dressing room who maybe are more lively than we might expect. I mean, obviously, Aaron Ramsdale would jump out as someone who clearly has a sense of humour. Mm. Um, I think you've seen bits of that in Ben White. I think, um, you know, Bukai Saka, everybody says, is a very sort of positive, uplifting presence on the training ground. So I, it's not something I stress about hugely. I know what the question is sort of inferring about maybe slightly less extroverted um individuals mm. in the group but i'm not sure at this point i see that as a big problem hey we we re-signed mohammed el nani man remember that's true i mean listen you know? yeah don't discount him 
Uh, Blaze22 on the Discord said, is anyone else really worried that we won't be able to sell our players? And on Twitter, Ben K, who's at Ben K Writer, says, is the inability to sell players simply a tax on the huge amount of money English teams receive? Yes, we're richer, and that means uh, we can afford. no one can afford to buy our players, so we have to pay them to leave. That's where some of our extra money goes from now on. Great questions again. So, uh, listen, as a journalist, I will continue to sort of be objective about this. And if Arsenal sell a player for a price that is really bad or unimpressive, I will um, write about that in like a sensible way where I critique it and say Arsenal need to improve in this area. As a fan, I have to be honest, I I sort of don't care anymore <laughs> about the sales. Like, I, I sort of think... I sort of agree with the question that this is sort of a tax that we have to pay at the present time with the European market as it is. And I think it's as important to get these guys off the books and out the club Mm. as it is to make money, like big money on them. And I think it's about the cumulative total of what we can bring in rather than the individual fees. Because I think if we assess it individual fee by individual fee, with players going to European clubs, we're probably going to be really disappointed. Mm. Um, so, and 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 maybe I've just been worn down by years of bad sales uh, that my expectations have been sufficiently lowered that I'm like, just let them go. But I, I honestly feel like in a lot of these cases, <laughs> let him run free. Let them go. Let Lucas Torreira go. Do you know what I mean? Whatever, whatever whoever comes and knocks on the door with like more than a few million i'd be like yeah fine (laughs) just yeah like i I know where you're coming from but i also do think there is an important aspect to that uh that side of the work yeah you know the recruitment and sales um part of the you know is it completely under the remit of the technical director yeah i would guess so i mean obviously you know richard garlic is there supporting him doing a lot of negotiating but Mm. yeah it's his department for sure yeah like i i think we probably um like if we sign a player from a european club and it doesn't go particularly well i think we have to be open to the idea that we're going to sell them at a loss right Mm -hmm. but i also think we've got to change the perception of arsenal being a club that will just, you know, player doesn't want to be here. We don't want to keep the player. You want the player? Here, have him. And here's a, you know, here's a bag of sandwiches as well. Don't put me in charge of sales, okay? <laughs> Whatever you do. I think we do need to change that. Um, I don't think it will significantly change the level of fee that we're going to get for certain players. But we have to be taken more seriously as a selling club. And that's part of the... That's got to be part of the job for Edu and Richard Garlick and for that side of the club. Like, you know, we talked about spending and what we've got to spend, and that's really, really important. But selling well also helps you spend, you know? Mm. Uh, you can uh, replenish the coffers and, and all that kind of stuff. So while I completely understand, like some of the situations are just like, I don't care, or I really don't. Lucas, yeah, is a great example. Good player, you know, turned out to be not a great transfer in the end. He doesn't want to be here. Uh, he only wants to be, I think, in Italy, which, um, you know, 
limits the number of clubs that could be interested in him and therefore the amount of money that we might be able to get. Um, although I think Spain should be a, a destination for him as well. Um, you know, at this point, it's just like, just get it over with. But at the same time, I would like us to get some kind of a fee for, you know, a good player. He is a good player. He's not a, a completely broken down old asset that isn't worth anything anymore, which, you know, in some of the cases that we've had recently, you know, you've got players who just had no value whatsoever because of their age, because of their co- contract situation. Mm. Torreira's mid-20s, good player, got a year left on his contract. It's not ideal, but at the same time, we're thinking about Gabriel Jesus and Yuri Tielemans who've got one year left on their contract and they're going to c- uh, cost money. Uh, Raheem Sterling is the same, isn't he? He's got a year left on his contract. He is going to cost somebody a significant amount of money so why shouldn't we get something not a huge amount but like something for lucas Torreira that we can then feed back into the coffers which will help us do our business and that i think is part and parcel of the job that that edu's got to do and he's got to improve that part of the club but just to sort of play uh, edu's advocate <laughs> uh, or as he's known kia Jaramchin. no i um uh what more could we really have done with Torreira? I mean, we sent him on loan to a club where he's played really well. His value, you would think, has increased in that period of time. Mm-hmm. We agreed a reasonable, for both parties, fee of like 15 million euros for him to be able to go and play there permanently. And then Fiorentina haven't stumped up the cash. I mean, I do have a little bit of sympathy in that case because... It seems like we got a, a relatively good loan for him that he has made him look decent, and yet we still can't yeah. find a taker. No, I, I agree. I've got sympathy. I do. I do have sympathy that it is difficult to do these kinds of deals, but it doesn't change the reality that we kind of have to do them better than we have been uh, yeah. in the recent past. You know, I, 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 the Torreira situation, like he had a loan the previous season, which was awful at Atletico Madrid. He only played six minutes or something, whatever, you know, he True. played very, very little. And, and, uh, I know there were some exceptional circumstances that season as well, but no, you're right. We did. Um, what I think was pretty much a good deal with Fiorentina. They backed out now, whether they backed out because there's a problem with the agent, whether they backed out as a, a problem with the player, they just don't have the money anymore, or they see Arsenal as a soft touch, whatever it is, could be a combination of all of those things. But it doesn't change the reality of what <laughs> Edu has to do because I'm pretty sure they were, you know, when they're doing their sums, you know, when Mikel Arteta and Edu, they do their internal podcast and they do the spending. <laughs> they do their predictions. They do their spending and and, uh, and incoming uh, value predictions. They sit there, get them completely wrong uh, because that's what everyone does when they do those. But I guess they would have had like, okay, we know we're getting 15 million from Fiorentina because we've agreed that. Um so that's like a kick in the chops, isn't it? You know, it is. Yeah, and the other thing to say about this is that we always look at it as like, ah, well, in Europe they haven't got any money. But it's also important to remember that the fees that we're paying for clubs as an English club are inflated accordingly. Mm. You know, there are English teams buying players for fifty, sixty, seventy million that just wouldn't happen. Mm. Uh, in Europe. So it, it is this bizarre situation where we're operating in two completely distinct financial markets and trying to equate value across those. 
I agree. We need to do better. Um, I just don't quite know how. I mean, I was really struck, you know, Liverpool, was one of the clubs we talk about who do this quite well. Yeah. And I was struck by, um, who's the Japanese forward they've got? Minamino. Uh, Minamino. He's leaving this summer, right? He's for sale. And um, the mooted price point is about 17, 16, 17 million pounds, which is basically double what they paid to sign him uh, a couple of years ago. And a lot of the clubs interested in him are Premier League clubs, right. like Southampton and others. And I just sort of think, I mean, yes, I accept Liverpool players are going to have more value because of what they've achieved and, and factors like that. Um, but maybe selling to Premier League clubs is the way to go wherever we can. The problem is we've got a bunch of players who, you know, the likes of Bellerin, Torreira, don't seem particularly keen on playing in the Premier League at this point in time. So, yeah. yeah. I like this message on the Discord. Thaddeus Walcott said, you put your rubbish on the curb and someone will come by to pick it up. You just might not get what you hoped for for it. <laughs> um, that feels a lot like Arsenal's sales strategy at the present time. Yeah, just leave it outside the gate. Free, free stuff. <laughs> Yeah, whoever wants it. Um, okay, well, look, good luck to them, uh, I will say. Um, Alex Brannigan, who's at Brannigorn, says, with the new substitution rules coming next season, if you had to make a guess, which mad lad will be the first to make a pentuple switch? All five in one go. Can you do that? I don't know. I don't know if you can. Why not? That's uh, bullshit if you can't. If you if if you can make five subs, you should be able to make them all. If you can make a triple sub now, why can't you make a, a pentuple? From next season, clubs will be permitted to use five substitutions to be made on three occasions during a match with an additional opportunity at half time. Yeah, that's when you can make them if you're doing them in But it doesn't say you can't make five at once. Wow. Well, it'll probably be um, which Premier League manager? I think it'll be Eric Ten Hag. I think it might be Conte <laughs> after a strop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like they're losing at half time. Yeah. A very disappointed Antonio Conte brings off. I mean, it would be a crazy thing to do, obviously, because it would be changing half your team and leaving yourself with nothing in the tank if someone gets injured. Yeah, but I mean, we've seen managers make triple subs. You know, get to 75 minutes, whatever it is, and you need to change a game. We've seen them do three, so why That's not true. five? Why That's not true. five? Yeah, I think Conte strikes me as maybe the angriest manager in the Premier League, so yeah, I think I find that most plausible. You think Ten Hag? Ten Hag, you just take Harry Maguire off five times. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you know England got battered by Hungary. Hungary, yeah, day. yeah, yeah. They were 3-0 down. And Gareth Southgate thought, I'll bring on Harry Maguire. That's that's the way uh, to go, isn't it? And yeah. uh, let's just say the crowd were <laughs> not too pleased about that at Molyneux. Wow. Um, <laughs> I think this is an interesting question. Okay. Asim Modi. What's the most incredible thing that footballers can do and make look routine? I used to think it was trapping a 60-yard pass dead, but we just had a baby on Monday. Congratulations. <laughs> Congrats. And now I think it was Pepe and Gabrielle being able to play even halfway well after becoming new dads. I don't think Gabrielle played halfway well that, that day. <laughs> um, That's true. Yeah. yeah. 
what is the most incredible thing that they make look routine? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever had the opportunity to watch elite players train, it is... Uh, if you play football yourself, it's pretty depressing, actually, <laughs> to see how good they are yeah, and the, how far away you are. The calibre of what they can do. Um, I, Ramsdale I, did a video with um, the F2 freestylers not long ago. Has he done a video with? Has he done a video with everyone apart from? I us? think he he apart must have some us. sort of YouTube uh, addiction affiliation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, he's a goalkeeper. And he was hitting like knuckleball free kicks into the top corner. Like even the goalkeepers can do scary stuff with the ball. Oh, that you know it, it is kind of um, mad. But the most routine thing they do, um, I think it's well, I guess. Because if it's routine, it's something that every footballer can do. Because I was just going to say the 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 ability to to see things on the pitch mm. and then execute them. Like, but then I was thinking of someone like Fabregas who could just sort of see a pass and make it make it look so ordinary, while at the same time being extraordinary. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely mental stuff like that and physical things like the capacity to repeat sprints can't be underestimated how difficult mm. that would be for any ordinary human being um but i do think it is probably the sort of clean striking of a football like if you've ever played football with someone who yeah. has been a pro or was a pro or yeah. was in the system the way they strike the ball is just different and it's like it, it's honestly like they're using a different ball or they've got magic boots on or something at times. Like there is just a, a, a quality to the way yeah. pros and a, the speed basically and power with which they hit the ball. The technique to do that is uh, yeah. amazing. It's ridiculous. I think movement as well is another one. Um, yeah, the, that's something the, that's quite poorly understood, I think, outside of the professional the game. The ability to not just move yourself but predict the movement of um, – your opponent to give yourself that half yard of space, whatever it might be. Like when I played football in, in Spain, I was sort of in my thirties, early thirties. And we played this sort of Barcelona international football league. And it was like various Irish pubs and English pubs, and they'd all get a team together and it'd be a mix of, you know, expats and lads from Scandinavia and uh, Catalan guys and the whole lot. So every team was, was sort of a mix. And there was one team, had a guy who played up front, who every season was the, uh, the Pichichi. He scored the most goals every year, year after year after year. Uh, I've probably told this story before, I think. Uh, mm. It was a really nice guy, fucking handsome bastard too, so it was ridiculous, the ability that he had. But, you know, um, he scored a lot of goals. He was a really, really, really good player. And, like, there's some good players in the league, but this guy was just a little bit of a cut above. And I remember talking to somebody about him, and he had been on the books of... Real Sociedad or Oviedo or, you know, a club like that in Spain till he right. was 19 and had knee problems. And his knee problems meant that, you know, he couldn't play the professional game. But even with fucking half a knee, he was just unbelievable. Like the, the gap, you could see the gap. 
and mm. you think about what the the guys at the very very top level can do it's just scary isn't it yeah i do sometimes fantasize about like um you know i play for sort of five or seven aside every week and i mm. always think wouldn't it be amazing if just for one day you had the ability of a Bukaya Saka or something. You know what I mean? Just to feel what that would feel like to play against ordinary people. Um, and make them look stupid. And make them look <laughs> foolish. Man, that would be cool. Instead of being the one turning around going, where, where has yeah. he gone and where is the ball? How did yeah. you do that? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's, I am usually that guy. <laughs> uh, over to you. Over to me. A couple of quick ones to finish then. Um, Andrew Turner, Art Turner 101, at Art Turner 101 on uh, Twitter says, uh, what is the correct amount of Gabrielles in a squad? Do we need more? You can't have too many, guys. You can't have too many. Um, it is kind of out of control. And at Arsenal, they delineated between... Gabriel Magalhaes and Gabriel Martinelli, who have even got the same initials, right, <laughs> by calling them Big Gabby and Little Gabby. So if you had a question about Gabby, Arteta would be like, which Gabby? Big Gabby, Little Gabby? And you have to say, oh, Big Gabby. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, I don't know what they'll do with more Gabriels. Um, what Ho- will Gabriel Jesus be, should he sign? Holy Gabriel. Middle Gabby? Yeah. Gabby, yeah, mummy Gabby, <laughs> like the three bears. I don't know. Uh, um, Fabio Vieira, his uh, full name is Fabio Daniel Ferreira Vieira. So there's no, no Gabriel in, in there. there. So that's good. That's something. Yuri Gabriel Tielemans. There's, there's, there's a lot around. Um, but, you know, the more the merrier. It might help, you know, squad... Uh, it would be confusing for the opposition, if nothing else. Yeah, yeah. Give it to Gabby. Gabby. Yeah. Give it to Gabby. Which one? Yeah. They won't Just get them all on the pitch uh, at the one time. Uh, and we also had a, uh, not so much a question, but a plea from Cesar Gonzalez, who's at Cesar Gons 3M. He said, I think we're due some more magpie content, facts or fiction. I leave it up to you guys, but anything's better than the sheer volume of transfer speculation crap. So I, we have to apologize for basically the entire of this uh, podcast. Uh, uh, that's what it's been. So The magpies must have influenced us in, you know, to, to talk purely transfer crap we'll see what we can um, do about okay well i i take that message on board yeah i i've got a week now to think about that yeah and uh let's gather the magpie news sort your shit out i think is what he's saying yeah here, yeah, yeah double source it <laughs> yeah you know make sure this is the real deal give the magpies right of reply <laughs> come next monday uh we'll have some blistering white hot magpie news for you okay you've you've That's got a that promise that's a promise. Wow. Dun- James says it's a done deal. <laughs> so there you go, folks. Um, I'm when the Vieira deal falls through, yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. going to look good for uh, me. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, AFC stuff report on this. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, look, we, we will leave it there for now. Uh, like I said, we'll have a Fabio Vieira podcast for you over on Patreon. If you're already signed up, you can get ready for that. If you're not, you can do it at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. As ever, thank you very much indeed for being here. Enjoy your week, and we'll catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.